0: David is one of the most legendary figures in all of scripture. He lived an extraordinary life. From a boy shepherd who slayed a giant to a king who made an epic mistake, his story unfolds across the pages of scripture. But unlike most biblical characters, we get to read his own reactions following the most defining moments of his life through songs and poetry he penned. Each one gives us a glimpse through the window into his soul. Through this window, we can learn so much about how to handle victory and defeat. Together, let's look through the window and learn from the man after God's own heart. You ever worship so hard, you feel like you're going to pass out? I don't mean slain in the spirit. I mean just like, you need to do some more cardio because worship is too much. That's what I feel today, man, because those songs just get me jacked up, man. Oh, good gracious. Um... All right, well, um, I mean, I'm glad today is finally here. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad to put the bottom line series in, in the rearview mirror for, I mean, I guess we don't ever put those things in the rearview mirror, but that series, it was just, it was heavy, but I hope you, you learned a lot. I hope you feel equipped. Um, we talked about a lot of issues from the Bible to heaven and hell and all those kinds of things, but thank God it's a new day. And there's a new word on my heart for the next few weeks, and I'm just excited to preach these messages to you because these are things that God has just been using really over the last year in my own life. And uh, these, I hope, are going to be encouraging and inspiring and just what you need um, in this season of your life because they have been a lot to me. And my, my struggle is, all right, how do I articulate this in a way that it moves you the way it's moved me? Like... I just want to say these things to you the way God has said them to me and just kind of put it out there. And, and over the next few weeks, um, I'm breaking all the rules of preaching. Um, if my homiletics, which is the preaching class in, in, in college, if my homiletics professor was in here, he would give me an F <laughs> over the next few weeks. Because every message is going to be like 17 sermons in one message. Because I'm just going to walk you through kind of verse by verse in these psalms what God has kind of been showing me. And, like, sometimes it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like we're all over the place. Is that okay with everybody? Okay, good. Um, thank you for giving me permission in advance just to kind of preach that way. Um, about a year ago, uh, I heard a message. And throughout the week, I, ha- I don't get to, to sit out where you sit very often. And so I have to find ways just to feed myself. Because um, when you preach pretty much every week, like, you, you've got to go find something or you're, or you're empty. Um, so I have to kind of be intentional about going to that. So there's a handful of preachers around the country, thank, you, thank God for technology, that I get to listen to um, throughout the week. And I heard a message by uh, Pastor Louis Giglio, um, who pastors uh, Passion City Church. We do a lot of their music um, about a year ago on Psalm 23. And I, it was so good, I thought, I'm stealing that. Uh, it was just good and just spoke into my heart. And, like, I've been wrestling with it for almost a year now and just kind of letting God just continue to cultivate that in my spirit and help me to better understand what I learned and, and, and teach me new things in that. But what it also did was out of that I was kind of moved just to, to camp out in the Psalms. Uh, because the the last year has just been kind of a roller coaster year. Right? The last year, the last let's see I just turned 41, the last 41 years have been a roller coaster. Um, and when I read the, the, the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, and you know not all the Psalms are written by David. No, I didn't know that. You need to read a little bit more. Okay. Um, But the Psalms of David, because I can relate to David. Can you relate to David? Because you read David's Psalms and and like almost in the same Psalm, it's God, I love you and you're so near and you're so close and you're my refuge and you're my strength and your presence is constantly around me. And then like three sentences later, God, where are you? You've abandoned me. I'm forsaken. And you ever feel like that's your, like that not that that's one day to the next. That's like nine o'clock and four o'clock of the same day, 9 o'clock, Jesus, I love you because I'm in my car and I haven't got to work yet and nobody's drove me crazy and it's all been good and I stepped in the door and that idiot showed up again and I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, there's some people like, yep, that's me, that is me. I would testify, but she's in the room and I can't say anything. <laughs> and so I relate to that. I relate to, to, to just David in the way that he articulates his experience and his relationship with God because... There are moments that God feels so close that, like you could almost like you could physically put your hands on Him. You ever had one of those moments where, like, like you can't physically see God, but like it's a little, you, just, you know, it almost paralyzes you. And then there's moments where God seems so far you don't even know if He's real because there just feels like there's such a gap between you and Him, and maybe it's because He sin has gotten you again, and you feel the guilt and shame of that, and you just feel removed and unworthy, and like, you're just all over the place. And, and David, David, a man after God's own heart, who, who had the, the most legendary blunder in all of the Bible, but yet he, along throughout his life, he, he pauses to pen these poems. And, and we get like a, a window into his soul. And that's why we're calling the series Through the Window, because I feel like every, every one of David's psalms, it's like he's opened up a window and let us look in to his understanding and his connection with the relationship with God and, and how he's processing that and how it feels and what he's learning from all that. And he's wrestling through all these things, and it just, it just makes sense to me. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at Psalm 23, Psalm 51, and Psalm 139. Three of these poems by, by David, three of these journal entries by This guy who was shepherd boy, now king, and and we get a window into his soul. And, like, what you'll find is, man, there's just so much that resonates with your spirit and how you encounter God and walk with God and and experience God. And and so, basically, I'm just going to kind of verse by verse walk through these passages and then just kind of tell you, all right, when I read that, this is what God showed me. And it's going to seem like there's just all these things. And maybe somewhere along the way, what God has shown me in these psalms, God will show you something. And I don't know if, if what you need to hear today is going to come out of the first verse or the last verse or somewhere in between. So if you get your nugget before, take a nap. We'll wake you up when we leave. Um, but we're going to start with Psalm 23. It may be the most familiar passage in all the Bible. I think that or John 3.16. It matter. doesn't matter if you grew up in church or... Your mama was Buddhist, and she still had Psalm 23 cross-stitched on her wall. Like, it's, it's weird. Like, everybody has it. Like, but it's one of those psalms, too, that some, some of the most beautiful passages of Scripture have become so familiar to us that we fail to find the beauty in them. Because what's familiar just so often gets glossed over, and just we don't dig in like we should. So grab your Bible, go with me to Psalm 23, and I'm going to try to, to read this as it is on the screen. Um, uh, Psalm 23 is one of those verses that I, I memorized as a kid, but I, all the Bible verses I memorized as a kid was in King James. Yeah. Um, the vowels and the this and the hithers and the blah blah, 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 blah. Psalm 23, verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the dark, I see I want to do it. Even though I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Six verses. I think it's like 117 words of David kind of trying to articulate the connection that he has with God and how it looks and how it plays out. And, and, and everything he says after verse 1 is trying to articulate what he means in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And like everything that follows is talking about this This is the benefits of the reality of God being my shepherd. Like the kind of, the way I would describe the relationship that I have with God, the relationship that he and I share together is shepherd and sheep. And now sheep is never once written in the entire passage. Never once is sheep written. But if David is the shepherd, it is implied that he, we, are the sheep. And sheep would be nobody's first choice as spirit animal. If you were going to pick a spirit animal, it would not be a sheep. Oh, Pastor Matt, they're cute and cuddly. No, they are stupid, stubborn, and smelly. <laughs> That's a sheep. So we're not really getting paid a compliment here. But it's just a reminder, it's much more about the shepherd than it is the sheep. It's much more about who he is and so much less about who you are because who he is really empowers who you are. And now David had an understanding of this that that we don't. And everything that he's able to unpack, he's writing out of experience. Because remember, before David was a king, he was a shepherd. And that reminds me, like, like, when I first read that, it's like David, before he led as a king, he served as a shepherd. And that's a lesson that we need to learn, church, because there's a lot of people that want to lead before they serve. And if you're not willing to serve as a shepherd, you will never be ready to lead as a king. And there's a lot of people that want the responsibility to lead as a king before they've ever served as a shepherd. And David serving as a shepherd equipped him to lead as a king. And we live in a culture that wants to lead but doesn't want to serve. But if until you are willing to serve, you will never be ready to lead. Even after David was anointed by Samuel as the future king, guess what he did? He went back to the sheep. Can you imagine? He looked at his dad and was like, "Um, I don't know if you heard this, but I'm going to be king. I ain't messing with them sheep no more. But it was in those fields with those flocks That God would reveal who He was and who God was, and His understanding of that relationship that would equip and empower Him for the role that He would play next. It's just a reminder: you might not like where you are now, but taking advantage of where you are now will greatly equip you for where God has you next. Told you it was going to be all over the place today. The Lord is, and the Lord is my shepherd. And again, I shall not want. That's the way I remember. I lack nothing. And there's sometimes, even as God is my shepherd, I feel like I still, I got a lot of wants. Even as God is my shepherd, I don't feel like I have all that I want. And if I'm honest, I don't want all that I have. Can anybody relate? You don't feel like you have all that you want, and you don't want all that you have. You don't feel like you have all the money that you want, and you have some bills you wish you didn't have. Like, I don't have all that I Want, and I don't want some of the things that I have but I'm reminded that when he is my shepherd he gives me what I need to handle what I don't want because that's who he is as he walks with us in the beauty of this relationship the Lord is my shepherd and I am his sheep and David realized how dependent that made him on God See, in this whole sheep-shepherd relationship, relationship, relationship <laughs> the, the sheep are completely dependent on the shepherd for everything. They cannot, not only can they not function, like they cannot survive without the shepherd. They're dependent on the shepherd in every way possibly imaginable. And that's one of the reasons why we don't like God to be our shepherd, because we don't want to be, we live in a culture that overvalues independence, that's good. We overvalue independence. We celebrate independence. And I'm reminded that, that physically the way we grow and spiritually the way we grow are the exact opposite of each other. When you have a child, the more they grow, the less physically they depend on you. They get to the point where they need you to put food in their mouth and then they become teenagers and they just want you to put money in their hand. Testify somebody. But spiritually, it's the other way. The more you grow in your walk with God, the more you realize you're completely dependent on him. The more dependent you become, the more you understand how much you need him, how desperate you are for his presence, how much his provision matters in your life. And the sheep are completely dependent on the provision of the shepherd. I want to remind you, though, don't ever see God's provision as permission for you to be lazy. Because even under God's provision, there is still a part that you will always have to play. So don't lean into his provision as permission to not do your part. I told you, we're all over the place today. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And because he is my shepherd, look what he does. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. As shepherd, he makes me and he leads me. And again, there, there we already be kind of to tense up a little bit like, and ain't nobody going to make me do anything. I do what I want to do. I'm grown. Are you? He makes me. But I want you to look at what it says he makes me do. And this is the reality. When I read this, it so resonates with my spirit. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Because the one thing God most often makes me do is the thing I most need but most often neglect. And that's lay down. Rest. Stop trying. Stop striving. Stop trying as if it all depends on you. He said he makes me lie down. There are times when, like God, because he knows you, because he sees the level of exhaustion that you're headed toward, because he sees you continuing to go beyond what you're capable of, but the good shepherd realizes the sheep can't go any farther. We have to stop. As a good shepherd, he knows when to kind of force you to do the things that maybe you don't want to do. And whenever he makes you do something, it's because it's something that you need the most but tend to neglect the most. And I even started thinking about that. There's times not only does he like physically make me lay down and make me rest, but there's sometimes he just makes me lay things down. You ever felt like God was just telling you, lay that down, lay it down, lay it down, lay it down. And I'm reminded whenever God tells you to lay something down, it's because there's something better he wants you to pick up. And before you can take hold of something new, you're going to have to lay down something old. And there's some people in the room, the shepherd's been telling to tell you to lay it down, lay it down, lay it down, lay it down. And you're like, no, God, I need it, I need it, I need it. And you're frustrated because you're looking for something else. And God's saying, I can't give you that until you lay that down. (laughs) He makes me lay down. He leads me beside quiet waters. Like wherever God leads, he's always leading to a a place that's a better pace for me. Like, we, we need to be made to do stuff. And I know, like, I ain't gonna, God ain't going to make me do nothing. When he, he, you're not going to be able to allow him to be your shepherd. Because he's going to be shepherd. This is, this is what comes with it. He leads me beside quiet waters. There's times when, like, we just have to be led. And we don't want to be led. We, like, like, sometimes, like, as much as we know that that's true, I want to I wanna be in control. I don't want to hand the baton of leadership of me and anything that I'm in charge of to anybody. And David realized that, like, it's just better when he leads and I don't. Because he knows, like, as a shepherd boy, if he'd have followed the sheep, the sheep and himself would have all been dead. Because you cannot trust the leadership of the sheep. You can only trust the leadership of the shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. And it says, he guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Like, as my shepherd, he, he makes me, he leads me, and he, and he guides me. And look at all the truth in that. Number one, like, the path that he wants to lead me to is always toward the goal of his glory. It says, for his namesake, that when he leads you, the destination will always be to celebrate his goodness, his glory, his might. Like, he's not going to lead you. If, if you're headed down a path that results in your glory, he's not your shepherd. He leads you, he guides you along the right path for his name's sake. So, just to remind you, set a goal that is about his glory. I know I'm a goal oriented person, aren't you? Like, I set goals for my wife, my family, my, my kids, my, my church. Like, I, I, I'm a goal oriented person. Anybody who, like you're, like, just, it's always about the goal. Remember, if the goal does not reflect his glory, the goal is not worth it. And then what he does is he guides you along that path toward the goal of his glory. And the reality is you need guidance because we tend to drift off the path. Like there's time, like, like, like he, has to, he has to keep us. He can't just let us freely go because like just like David knew, like the sheep, he, like he had to constantly have to kind of hustle them back in because there'd be that one just like squirrel, I'm going to go over here. And he would have to bring it back onto the right path. Like the, the, the sheep were easily distracted by things. And if we're honest, so are we. We are so easily distracted because there's so much in this world to distract us. All over, everywhere we turn. And we, we just tend to drift. <laughs> my, when I was 50, 15 years old was, was, was maybe the, one of the worst years of my life because I got my permit that year. There is a, a special kind of tension between a, a son and his father when that father is teaching that son how to drive. Do you remember your permit year? Like there was more tension between me and my father that year than in any other year. Like I didn't mind riding with my mama, but to ride with my daddy, I, I, I'd rather wrestle a porcupine than, than, than do that. I'm telling you right now. Because like, and, and it was bad enough, like he, he, wouldn't ever, he, he most likely didn't want me to drive the good car. Like, when we were growing up, you had, you had the good car and the bad car, the one that was fairly newer, and then the other one, like, if you beat it up, it's already messed up anyway. Let that fool get in that thing and drive it around. And my mom had, like, an 89 Ford Tempo. you talking about chick magnet. That was not it. But when I would, like, so I would be driving, and, like, my dad would just be, he would, like, look at me. But there were several times, like, like he, would, he would reach over and grab the steering wheel. And I hated it. Like, it would make me so mad. Like, like, he would just be driving. He would reach over there and grab the steering wheel. But you know why he was grabbing the steering wheel? Because I'd just be like looking around. <laughs> Listen to some I Saw the Sign of Ace and Base just kind of bumping down the road. <laughs> 90s kids in the room, come on. I Saw the Sign. Okay. And he would always say this to me He would say, Son, you're drifting. And it would make me so mad. He would grab the steering wheel, not realizing it like I was two-thirds of the way across the yellow line coming into death. (laughs) And if there were moments when my dad didn't grab the steering wheel, there would have been moments then then more than just the headlight would have been busted out of the car. But every time he would reach to grab the steering wheel, my first reaction was want to slap his hand away. Not realizing all the time what he was trying to do was to guide me back on the right course. And even though I didn't like it, and even though I didn't understand it, what he was trying to do was save me from death and destruction. And sometimes we do that to God. God's reaching over to grab a hold of the steering wheel of your life to put you back on course, and you keep slapping his hand away, and you keep resenting him for it, not realizing that if he didn't do that, where you would end up is far worse than you can imagine. And sometimes to get to the goal, You just got to pay attention to the God. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil for you. With me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, wait a minute. If he is our shepherd, why why do we got to go through dark valleys? Shouldn't the shepherd allow us to go around the valley? That's just a reminder that even with the shepherd, there will be seasons in the shadows. The way I memorize that, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that even with the shepherd, there are seasons in the shadows. And I wish that said, even though I get to run around the valleys. Or, you know what, even, why does it have to say, even though I walk through the valley? We've realized that valleys are a part of life. Amen? Like, it's just inevitable. You're uh, You're either in a valley, coming out of a valley, or headed toward a valley. That's just life. But God... Why we got to walk through the valley? Can we not catch a bus, a scooter, something? Like, I understand I got to go through the valley, but I ha- do I have to go at this pace? It's not that the fact that I have to go through valleys that bothers me, it's how long I spend in that valley that usually is what frustrates me and impacts my faith. It's not the reality of the valley. It's not the presence of the valley. It's the pace that sometimes he won't leave. I'm like, God, can we go a little faster? Because I don't want to be here anymore. But the shepherd sets the pace. But notice what he says. You are with me. That he's not cheering you on. He's not just watching you in the valley. He's walking with you through it. He's not watching you in the valley. He's walking with you through it. He's not cheering from the mountaintop. He's championing you right with you as you walk through it. He is with you in the valley. And I'm also reminded that. Down to the valley is always downhill. Out of the valley always requires a climb. So if you want the mountain peaks of life, you'll have to do the hard work of climbing out of the valley. And it will be harder out of the valley, much harder out of the valley than it was into it. Now the next thing he says is what puzzles most people. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, this is what C. S. Lewis, the great Christian author, kind of troubled him and puzzled him about this psalm. Like, I'm with the shepherd, I'm with the shepherd, he guides me and he leads me, and he he does all these cool things in my life, and, and he's with me. But then this whole, okay, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? Like that doesn't even make a whole lot of sense. Like, the, I like the whole idea of me and God sharing a table. But can we get a table for two <laughs> away from everything and everybody that could threaten me? Like, I feel like I'm around my enemies enough. Like, God, can't, we, can't, you, can't you grab the table and go put it somewhere in seclusion, away from the trouble, away from the pressure, away from the people that know and annoy me? And sometimes that's what we long for with God, right? It's kind of like there's times where I like to go out to dinner with my wife, and like I'm like, babe, let's go to Raleigh where nobody knows us, and we will not be interrupted, and I can just stare into your beautiful brown eyes. She's not even in here. I'm not even getting any points. I don't think there she is here. Like this is what we would rather do, right? Like, I prepare a table before you away from everything that threatens you, away from the distraction, away from the pressure, away from the pain. Like, that seems like a good shepherd. But he says, no, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. That where the table is set is not in isolation. It's in the presence of our enemies. And this is what I heard that really wrecked me in this psalm, and I've been kind of wrestling through over the last year. Justin, come up here with me, man, Justin Davis. Y'all give Justin some love right here as he walks up here. Justin is a brother, and about a year ago, God woke him up to an addiction that he was struggling with and put him in the ministry that we call Vintage Recovery, and God has been freeing him and giving him victory almost a year now from that, and we celebrate that today. So it's been a year, but here's the reality. Every single day, the enemy is surrounding Justin, just like he's surrounding you and he's surrounding me. And as you go through life, the reality is you've got an enemy that's surrounding you. David's enemies were all kinds. and all David was not unfamiliar with enemies, but neither are we. They look different than David's. They're not soldiers coming in physical form to come at us, but every day you're in a battle. Testify somebody you got enemies of depression or anxiety or addiction or frustration or temptation like you've got enemies all around you And they it seems like every day they're just surrounded and they're messing with you Right come on They're poking at you. They're trying to come at you. They're trying to annoy you. They're trying to distract you They're trying to get you off course. They're trying you to they're, they're really trying to give you get you to give up on the shepherd And David says in the presence of my enemies we're constantly in the presence of enemies. And knowing that reality and feeling that pressure and feeling those battles, our first reaction is to take a fighting position. Come on. Come on, Justin. Look mean. Like that's like, like when, we, when we recognize we're in the presence of an enemy, our first instinct is to pick up a weapon and fight. Like, you know, like when he, when he keeps coming at you and he's saying those things, and you know that you're surrounded by the enemies, the first instinct is to pick up a weapon and fight. And I think that's what David did for a lot of years of his life. But then he, re- he realizes something. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That David says, I've realized when I am surrounded, when I'm in the heat of the battle, when the enemy is coming at me from all sides, the best thing for me to do is not pick up a weapon and fight. The best thing for me to do is to pull up a chair and feast. That... Yeah, come on. That in the presence of your enemies, in the very place that you feel like the only way to win is to pick up a weapon and fight. David says, what I've learned is that God has prepared a table for me in that very spot. And I don't have to pick up a weapon and fight because God has invited me to pull up a chair and feast He has prepared a table for me with a feast. And he puts it before me. And he and here's the cool thing about our God. Because he's God, he can sit with you and fight for you all at the same time. He can sit with you and fight for you all at the same time. And he's looking at Justin like Justin, look, I know that you're in the middle of a fight, and I know you feel the pressure. I know every day that temptation that once got you continues to come at you. And I know you think that the best way is for you to fight, but no, let me fight you feast. Feast on the truth of my word. Feast on the promise of my presence. Feast on on what I've told you. Make a meal out of every good and perfect gift that I've given you. That I've spoke life and hope and truth into you. So you focus on my voice and my words. You feast on that. I'll go kick his tail, okay? You feast, I'll fight. You feast, I'll fight. Don't look up from the meal. Don't take your eyes off of me. And I know all this time you're being surrounded. Like he's coming at you. And I know that it's easy to get distracted. And it's easy to take your eyes off the things that you need to sustain you. He can surround, but don't let him sit down. The way Louis Gigo put it was, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Because here's what he wants to do. The enemy will always have an alternative meal. (laughs) And what he'll do if you'll let him, he'll come and sit down. He'll say, come on, dude, you know. I know he's tried to convince you that this is what you need. But have you seen what I have to offer? (laughs) This, don't, come on. This looks so much better. And you know what, dude? You've eaten that for like a year now. You deserve this. Dude, for a year, you've put that temptation away. One bite. It's just one bite. You deserve it. It won't turn into weeks of it. It'll just just be this one time. Just just take your eyes off this and eat this. And he comes at you and he he says things like, you know what? You have been nice to them for six weeks. and All they have done is talk behind your back. Have a bite. You're going to get home and she's going to have a headache anyway. So just look at those images and fulfill that desire because you deserve it. The enemy will always come with a meal that seems appropriate to immediately quench your appetite. But it's a lie. And if you let him have a seat at your table, he's going to continue to push. My mouth is watering. (laughs) And what God is saying is, no, focus on me. Listen to my voice. That you know what? Yeah, these may both be on the table, but you have a choice. Where you feast will be up to you. But if you feast on something other than my truth, and instead of feasting on my truth, you feast on his lies, he wins. So you feast and let me fight. You feast and let me fight. You feast and let me fight. And I know the battle's intense, and I know it's a struggle, and I know it's hard, but you can do this. Focus on my voice. Listen to me. Hear me. Don't buy the lie. Jesus would carry this metaphor into his own, very own teaching. John chapter 10, verse 2. It says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. It so says, another one is going to come looking like the shepherd, come maybe dressed like the shepherd, come talking maybe a little bit like the shepherd, but he's not the shepherd. Verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his, out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Then verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus would eventually say, hey, when you're in the midst of the most intense battle, and more than ever, you feel like you have to fight what I want you to do is feast not just on any meal, but on the meal. That when you're really in the battle, and you don't feel like you're going to make it, and you don't feel like you can win, Jesus says, I prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And in the battle, feast on the meal. That's a reminder that he's already won the war. The moment he gave up his body and shed his blood and defeated death and the consequences of sin, every battle battle that we would fight from now until the day he returns is one that's already won. So when the enemy comes at you and says, it's no big deal, dude. One more time. You've made it a year. Just give it a day. Your mom, the, t- the body of the blood of our Savior, the body broken for you. Take and eat. And his blood shed that you might have forgiveness of your sin. Feast on that meal and the truth that it represents, knowing that in every battle you can be reminded he is already. So I know that maybe you walked in here and you feel like this the whole time. You're clenched and you're tense and you feel like you're fighting and fighting and fighting. And God's looking at you today and reminding you, hey, don't pick up a weapon and fight. Pull up a chair and feast. Feast on His promises, feast on His word, feast on all that He is and all that He said and it will give you everything. You feast, let Him fight. Our ushers are going to come and they're going to begin to pass out the elements of communion to you. You just stay right where you are. Our ushers are going to come. You're going to get a little cup that has the wafer and has the juice. You pull off the top layer, it will will expose the wafer. Then the next layer you will take and you will drink the juice. And we're going to invite you today to pull up a chair, to feast on the truth of God, to feast on his blood, to feast on his body. So, Father, as we prepare to take communion, God, I pray that you would speak in this room, that you would bring victory and power, that you would show up like only you can, and that, God, all throughout this room, people would start to find freedom and power and security in the one and only true shepherd, the one who guides us and leads us, protects us, the one who died for us. In Jesus' name. Our ushers, I'm invite you guys to go ahead and pass out the elements as they're coming back through. Guys, I just invite you, whatever you need to do as we finish this time together worshiping and taking communion, maybe you want to come, kneel around this platform, turn it into an altar, or just sit and pray, or however you want to respond. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and He leads me. Beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Father, speak now and only you can, in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him.